Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. You know, when I come into the podcast studio each week, I have different feelings about the different topics that I try to address. But today, I would describe my uh, heart as heavy. I am still reeling, as you may be, from the recent events in Buffalo, New York, where a person uh, went to a supermarket and shot and killed a number of people, primarily African-Americans, with an intent to fulfill uh, a racist agenda that he had outlined in a document that he had actually posted online. The best word to describe uh, that entire event is incomprehensible. It's hard for me when I have so many uh, non-white friends and employees and pastors and fellow church members, it's hard for me to understand on any level hatred directed toward uh, African-Americans or or other non-Anglos based on racial profiling. I just can't get my mind around it. And yet, it's the reality of what we're living with today. In this incident that I'm referencing in Buffalo and in too many others as well. You know, this kind of misplaced hatred is evil. There's really no other word for it. It's simply evil. And this evil is expressing itself in its rawest and most destructive form, which is the wanton killing of random people because they are perceived as some kind of threat. Now, this kind of incident reveals a larger problem and a ministry opportunity in our culture. The larger problem is that there's a rising anger among young men, particularly young white men. And that rising anger is expressing itself in more and more alarming ways. Uh, Men who find themselves uh, caught up in the pseudo-intellectualism of white supremacy, claiming that it's some kind of uh, movement of intellectual that's intellectually defensible, along with the dysfunctional organizations this philosophy has spawned, uh, these things have become both the facilitators of and the harbors for uh, this anger. Now, when this kind of anger that we see uh, among these young men is spewed on social media, it's just annoying, and it is annoying. But when it erupts in gunfire, killing innocent victims, it's horrific. Now, as church leaders, of course we must speak out against things like this when they happen. There's not any reason why a church leader shouldn't take a moral stand in opposition to murder, to mass murder, and to racially prompted murder. And yet, while we can use our voices to speak out against uh, these kinds of events and the philosophies which motivate them, we have to do more. And the doing more is what I want to talk about on the podcast today. I want to talk about the responsibility we have to reach more young men with the gospel and train them in healthy models of Christian manhood. And today on the podcast, I want to talk about two aspects 
of designing ministry to men and designing approaches that will reach men with the gospel of Jesus Christ and train them to live for him. And then after that, I want to talk about some specific suggestions that can be put into practice about developing more effective men's ministries and ministries to men in local churches. So first, let's talk about two foundational aspects of healthy ministry to men. Men thrive when they have two things. First, responsibility. And second, opportunity. Responsibility and opportunity. Those are two watchwords for defining manhood and also for designing effective ministries to men. Now, right now, Western culture is busy uh, dismantling masculinity. In fact, we're even trying to rid ourselves of the gender classification, male. We're trying to dismantle masculinity all in the name of rooting out what is sometimes called toxic masculinity. Now, this podcast is not about that specific subject today, so let me just say that there are, of course, toxic expressions of maleness, although I would reserve the description of masculinity for behaviors that don't include toxicity. So while eliminating destructive behaviors, which again have never been a part of real Christian definitions of masculinity, while, del- while eliminating certain destructive behaviors among men is a positive thing, we seem to have thrown out the proverbial uh, baby with the bath. We have jettisoned the importance of responsibility and opportunity as key aspects of healthy manhood and, as I'm saying today on the podcast, key building blocks of effective ministry to men. Let's talk more now about responsibility and opportunity and how both how important both those words are to men and then how important both those concepts are to designing effective ministry to men. You know, my wife and I were uh, speaking at a conference and she was asked a question in the Q&A time about how do you describe or how do you define Manhood, or in the case of the questioner, she said, how do you define a real man? And my wife gave this answer, which she and I have talked about many times over the years, applied it in lots of different contexts and uh, considered it in lots of different, uh, uh, in light of lots of different circumstances. And I keep coming back to say that in that day, in that conference, my wife gave one of the best definitions of what it means to be a real man that I've ever heard. She said, A real man is a person who takes responsibility for himself, his family, his church, and his community. And then she underscored, a real man takes responsibility. Taking responsibility may seem like a heavy burden, but it's not. (laughs) I like to jokingly say, men are like trucks. We handle better under a load. Men are made to have responsibility. We work best when we're challenged to take responsibility for ourselves, for our families, for our churches, and for our communities. Men handle better 
They work better. They perform better. They act better when they are wearing the yoke of responsibility in these four key areas that I've already mentioned. Now, effective men's ministry then is not primarily about helping men or doing things for men. Now, let me bring some balance to this. Some aspects of men's ministry does help men and does do some things for men. So please don't hear me saying that effective men's ministry is only about giving men more responsibility. It's not only about that, but it is primarily or largely about that. Yes, there are times when men need to help men, and there are times when men need to do things for other men. But most of the time, effective men's ministry is about giving men real responsibility, teaching them how to fulfill it, and showing them healthy models for doing so. Now, men need responsibility. And in giving them those responsibilities, we actually tap in to a need they seem to have inborn in them to give themselves away to others. Now, you don't have to look very far in our world to see that we've really moved away from this in understanding manhood today. Too many moms, for example, spend too much time coddling and protecting their boys rather than teaching them from an early age to be responsible for themselves and be responsible for their families and for their church and for their community. I give my wife, again, uh, real credit for doing this as a mother in a healthy way. I remember her saying to our sons when they were five, six, seven, eight years old, in those formative younger years when most mothers still think of their little boys as babies, that my wife would say, you have responsibility. These are your responsibilities. I want you to take responsibility for this. And she was always looking to find ways to push our sons, and our daughter too, but in a different way, but to push our sons toward taking responsibility. We wanted them to start doing things on their own as soon as possible, and not only on their own as soon as possible, but taking responsibility for others as soon as possible. And then the other aspect. In a similar vein, men need opportunity. Responsibility and opportunity. Now, opportunity means that you give an, an opportunity to improve, to build, to make, or in short, to do something. Effective men's ministries present opportunities for men to do something, to accomplish something, to fulfill something, to feel a sense of getting it done as a part of the role they've been given. In fact, again, reflecting on my sons when they were younger men, the most effective ministries to them were not actually to them, but instead were opportunities given to my sons to build something, lead something, or otherwise do something for others. I I think about my oldest son. When he was coming into his formative years in high school and then moving on beyond, he was involved in a ministry program in the Pacific Northwest in which for a week or so every summer, uh, teenagers would work hard on service projects, projects in our community. And it wasn't the kind of project where you got a bunch of teenagers together and the adults told them what to do. 
No, it was that the teenagers were organized, put in teams, allowed among themselves to find their own leadership. That leadership was trained, directed, and supervised by the adults, but the teenagers themselves had to take responsibility for the task at hand. And I remember one particularly formative time for my oldest son. He was tasked with building a fence in terms of rehabbing a home for an elderly woman that lived in our community. And so the first day they went in and tore the fence down and uh, got everything cleaned up and dug the holes. And the next day they started putting in the post and building the fence. And on the middle of the second day, uh, the supervising adult came and viewed what was being done and said, this is unacceptable. Quality is just not there. This is not how I trained you, and this is not how this is going to be done. Tear it down. And so they had to disassemble everything they'd done and start over. And the second time they did it, my son, again the team leader for this project, took responsibility to fulfill the opportunity to really do what needed to be done in the right way. And they wound up building a really, really good fence that went around that person's property. Now, she might have only seen it as a fence and been happy to receive it. But I saw it as something else. I heard that story later, and I saw the pride in my son's eyes as he talked about taking responsibility, doing something right, and fulfilling the opportunity he'd been given for leadership in that context. And because of that, this ministry that he was involved in as a young man was not so much a ministry to him, as a ministry of giving him the responsibility and opportunity to do ministry for others. I could tell you story after story after story of men, and particularly young men, in a similar vein, who have been transformed, not by someone taking care of them or coddling them or or making excuses for them, but instead someone having the wisdom to give them responsibility an opportunity, and challenging them to come up to that standard. Now, churches today must find more and better opportunities to reach men with the gospel. We must do this to stem the tide of aimlessness, frustration, and anger plaguing young men today. These two pillars of responsibility and opportunity can form a foundation for understanding how to, and a a philosophical foundation for understanding how to do the work needed in building effective men's ministry today. Look, uh, men are not going to be reached by better music or slicker marketing or more in-depth sermons. That's just not going to happen. Men are going to be reached when we find meaningful ways to challenge them on the issues of responsibility and opportunity, and to facilitate ways for them to engage themselves, not just in receiving ministry from a church, but in giving ministry through that church and through their efforts into the community that they want to impact. Listen, we can do these things. We can do practical things based on this foundation that do change the way we reach, teach, train, disciple, and deploy men in our culture. Now let me shift gears and talk about some suggestions for developing men in and through local church ministries for both leadership in churches and for impact in communities. 
Now, I'm going to give you five observations today, and these are observations I've made from studying effective ministries to men in various churches around the country. In my speaking ministry, I've been asked to speak on a number of occasions at men's conferences, men's events, men's outreach uh, projects, those kinds of things. And while I've never been the leader of these kinds of experiences, I've paid close attention to those who do. And I've tried to reflect on what I've observed in putting together this list for the podcast today. Also, I reflected on my own experience. I worked hard at reaching, teaching, discipling, and deploying men when I was a pastor in a local church context. And I found in doing that some things that really worked well, again, resting on those foundations of responsibility and opportunity, some practical things that we were able to do that really did facilitate men embracing the Christian faith and growing in their capacity for service. So let's talk about these five suggestions today. First, design worship services and other church activities with men in mind. Now, this does not mean that you don't also have women in mind, children in mind, etc. But I think it's important to design worship services and church activities with men in mind. For example, when you're planning worship services, choose a representative man in your church and evaluate the level of participation that service or that activity or that event will likely elicit from this representative man. For example, when I was serving as a pastor, uh, we had Sonny for this purpose. Sonny was a middle-aged, committed Christian who was a member of our church. He owned a small construction company, uh, had younger uh, adult children, and a few grandchildren. He was typical of the guys in our church. When we were planning a worship service, we would often ask this question, will Sonny sing this song? Will Sonny do this when thinking about different ways that we were going to involve people in the worship service? For example, will Sonny be comfortable holding hands if we ask everyone to hold hands? Will Sonny want to stand through the entire service if we ask him to? What will Sonny do when we introduce this element of the worship service? If we were thinking about creative ways to do baptism or the Lord's Supper, we would ask, how will Sonny participate in this? Now, Sonny wasn't the only representative person, by the way, that we used to evaluate worship planning. But he was an important person because he helped us to think about how will men experience this worship service, and interface with these activities that we have in mind. Now, let me hasten to say, I did not advocate today that you only consider the perspective of men on the service planning and activity planning of your church. I think as a church leader, you have to consider a broader audience than that. But I want to challenge you today. If you're having a difficult time engaging men in worship services, engaging men in church activities, engaging men in participation at a level that you'd like to see happen, ask yourself the question, are we really taking into account the way men experience worship, the way men participate in activities, and the way that men will likely engage with what we're planning? Are we really taking that into account as we create these plans? So step one, 
design worship services and other activities with men in mind. Second, second suggestion for building effective men's ministry based on responsibility and opportunity is to train men to lead in public settings and communicate an expectation that men will take the lead in your church. Now, again, I'm not discounting the role of women and the role of women in leadership, but I'm saying that if you really want men to step forward, you're going to have to find a way to communicate that this is an expectation, that men lead in our church, and that we want men to step forward and participate in different elements of leadership in our church. Let me just give you one example that was probably one of the most effective things I ever did as a pastor in facilitating men both taking responsibility for the worship services of our church and also helping them to grow in ways I would have never anticipated in their relationship with God. Now, during my first pastorate, I was in a church that had multiple worship services on Sunday, two Sunday morning services, one Sunday night service. Now, in each of those services, we typically had at least two and oftentimes three prayers. We would have what you might consider like an opening prayer or an invocation. We would often have another prayer in relationship to the offering. And then we would have a third prayer often at the end and a kind of a benedictory ending of the service. So three prayers. So if we had three prayers in three services, that's nine prayers every Sunday. So I told the person who was helping me with worship planning, I want us to strategically and intentionally try to involve as many men as we can in leading prayer in our public worship services over the next year. So uh, we got a printout of all of the men who were members of our church. And then we went through and we eliminated, of course, the names of men that we had never seen. And that raised some other issues about people that were on our role that never participated, but that's for another podcast. But eventually, we concluded with, a, 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 I think it was close to 200 names of men, and I went ahead and included some uh, older high school boys in the list, but we basically went with men that were about 17 or 18 and older that were members of our church. Let's say we came up with a close to 200 of those. Well, divide that number by nine, you're going to get about what? Uh, I guess it would be about 20 or something like that, 20 or more weeks of prayers that we would need for our services. And the person who was helping me plan worship just started calling men and saying, we're having service on Sunday. We'd like for you to lead the opening prayer. Can I count on you to be here at 8.30 to lead the opening prayer in the first worship service? As we worked our way through the list, several things happened. First of all, some men said, I'd be very glad to do that. And they came on Sunday prepared to lead in the service. Some other men responded differently. And that's what really started surprising me. When we communicated to men, you have a responsibility to pray and an opportunity to do so in our worship service. And by doing these things, take the responsibility for helping to lead our church and fulfill the opportunity to demonstrate to others your commitment to Christ and your willingness to grow. When we ask people simply to lead a prayer, while some said yes, others responded very differently. And that's where the real growth and the surprising serendipitous nature of this project came apparent. 
men started calling me and saying, Pastor, I need to meet with you. I was asked to lead a prayer on Sunday. Pastor, I, I've never prayed out loud in front of anyone in my life, not even my family. I'd like to do it, but I don't know how. And this became a discipleship moment for me to teach how to lead in public prayer, how to lead an out loud prayer, how to lead a prayer in front of someone else. I remember others called me and said, Pastor, I need to talk to you. They come to me and said, Pastor, I was asked to lead in prayer on Sunday, but I, I can't do it. So why not? Uh, because I'm a hypocrite. There's things in my life that are just not right. And I, I just can't get up and lead a prayer knowing what's going on in my life. I said, well, let's talk about that. Again, another opportunity for discipleship. This practice of simply calling through the role and lining up men to pray turned out to be one of the most effective ways I've ever had of engaging men in the leadership and ministry of our church. So that's what I mean when I say train men to lead and communicate an expectation they will lead and watch them rise to the challenge. Third, a third important aspect of this men's ministry resting on responsibility and opportunity is creating a process to train men for leadership. Now, this can take many forms. Uh, it can involve a, a class or a group that you meet with to train men for leadership. It can involve some one-on-one -on -one or some other small group type approaches. It can be short duration, meaning you meet with someone only once or tw twice in order to get them ramped up and ready to do a specific ministry or job in the church. It can be an ongoing process where you meet with people over maybe a period of months to prepare them for leadership. But somehow, some way, you have to have an intentional strategy that says, I'm going to be working to prepare a few men to take on more leadership responsibility in our church. And then as you're doing this, let me remind you that men like opportunity to do, and especially opportunity to do for others to fulfill this sense of responsibility that they have for the work, for the work of the ministry. So for example, in training men in leadership, rather than have a prolonged class before they're allowed to do anything, it's better to say, hey, I'd like for you to take the leadership of our security team on our parking lot. And I'd like to train you for a couple of weeks on how to do that and then let you get started with it and then meet with you once a month after that to kind of update your training and give you additional information and help you learn along the way. I want you to learn by doing with some coaching built in. So when it comes to creating a process for training men for leadership, yes, occasional classroom experiences are helpful and meeting as a group like that can be profitable. But don't let that be the only thing you do in training men for leadership. Recognize that men love to learn by doing. Engage them in the process. Let them get their hands dirty and then coach them up along the way. A fourth suggestion is to develop some ministries that are just for men. Now, these can take different forms. I know one church, for example, in Idaho has a two-week hunting camp every fall. Now, women who are out hunting are welcome to come by the camp, but mostly it's for men. This camp is set up in the wilderness, and it's manned for two weeks straight by the men of a church ministry that are trying to reach more men with the gospel. 
and there's always coffee on the pot, and there's usually something in the uh, in the stew pot as well. And so, as hunters come through, they can stop, have a meal, have some fellowship, maybe even warm up by a fire. But this well-known hunters camp is in this community, and it attracts men because it's something that's typically perceived as just for men. Now. There's a lot of other ways you can do this. Men's retreats, golf tournaments, wild game dinners, car shows, uh, Super Bowl events, all kinds of things. Some events, though, that are just for men. Now, these gender-specific events not only train and build fellowship among men, but they also send this message, men matter to our church. Now, again, some balance here. Not every event in your church should be just for men. In fact, most of them won't be. There ought to be a few where guys are called together and challenged in a unique way or in a unique context to develop identity and relationships that then spawns effective ministry as a result. And then finally, develop ministries for men to impact boys. I may do a whole podcast on this sometime. It's so important that we help boys understand that our expectation of them is that they become men that we don't want them to stay little boys. They aren't our cute babies. They're young men, and we want to help them transition to manhood really as quickly as possible and as strongly as possible. One of the ways you do that is by helping men who model the kind of masculinity you want boys to emulate, model it for them by providing some ministries that are directed just for boys. Well, I started the podcast today by saying I'm really heartbroken by what's happened recently in Buffalo, New York. And rather than just lament that, I think we have to double down our efforts on reaching men with the gospel and particularly reaching young men. We have to do something about this rising level of anger among young men in our culture. And I believe the best something we can do is communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ a picture of authentic masculinity grounded in a Christian worldview, and by doing so, change the trajectory of so many men to to such a more healthy place. I'm challenging you to do this today as you lead on.